This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, October 26th, 2023. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include Apple is killing off iTunes for real this time. Amazon begins using passkeys in yet another major tech company's implementation of the passwordless login feature. Google Chrome's new IP protection looks a lot like something similar that Apple introduced some time ago. And we make some predictions on what Apple may reveal during its unusually timed evening event on Monday the 30th. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. Did you get that update for iOS 17.1 that was supposed to be released by yesterday? Uh, no. Remember last week we talked about how some French authority leaked that iOS 17.1 was going to launch by October 24th at the latest. Well, that turned out to not be accurate. Well, according to the text from this French authority, Apple will not be able to sell the iPhone 12 until they have released this update. They're not selling the iPhone 12 anymore, so... It really doesn't have that much of an effect. Maybe for whatever reason, it's been delayed. Now, we just found out yesterday that Apple is holding an event on October 30th to present what seems to be Macs with M3 processors. That's what people think. So it kind of would make more sense that they release an update timed with that event along with the next Mac OS Sonoma update. What's really weird about this is it's 5 p.m. California time. Now, these things are always 10 a.m. California time. I can't remember the last time it was not... Maybe when they did a Macworld in Boston and they did a keynote there. And this goes back a long time. I have no idea why a couple of people have said, well, at least people in China can watch it live. But I can't see Apple changing the time of an event like that for China. They generally do this for a couple of reasons. One, to get it into the news in the US and Europe, which are the main markets, and two, to get journalists to be talking about it, you know, Mac journalists to be talking about it. So if it's 5 p.m. West Coast time, which is what, 8 p.m. East Coast time, it's too late for a lot of these journalists to write about it on the blogs and the newspapers and talk about it on CNN. Kind of interesting. Now, this is going to be one of these pre-recorded events. So basically someone pushes a button and rolls the tape. But there's going to be some place in New York City where they're going to be welcoming journalists to give them some hands-on time for whatever the new products are. Oh, I hadn't heard about the last part yet. I, I thought there was no hands-on component at all this time around. Yeah, I heard it on social media. So we're expecting Macs with M3 processors, maybe a MacBook Pro, maybe an iMac. My speculation is a bigger iMac, perhaps. So the 21 and a half went to 24 and the 27 hasn't been replaced. It would be a 30 or 32 inch iMac. And a lot of people I know have been holding out to buy that because they don't want the smaller display, even though the 24 is almost as big as the 27, if you think about it. The other possibility with the new operating systems, there are some new features in the music app sh that should be released. So things like collaborative playlists. And I think I mentioned this last week when we were talking about no new Apple products that I'm kind of expecting them to come out with new AirPods Max before Christmas, because this is a Christmas product. The first one came out in December 2020, so that's almost three years ago. 
And in fact, it was so popular that you couldn't get them for Christmas. You couldn't get them for a couple of months. So if they were to release new AirPods Max now, they would have them in stock for Black Friday for Christmas. It's not the same price as selling an iMac or an iPhone, but this could be a pretty big market for Apple in a time when they don't have much else to update. As we talked about last time, no iPads this year. You know, Apple's needed to update this product, I feel like, ever since Beats Studio Pro, the latest version of that was released. Now the AirPods Max are outdated, like they have outdated technology, and so they really need to be brought up to date to be at least on par with what Beats Studio Pro has had now for several months. Okay, in other Apple news, Apple is finally killing off iTunes for real. And this was a surprise. Josh pinged me Monday and showed me a link to the Microsoft Store where Apple has a couple of preview apps. And these are preview apps for Apple Music, Apple TV, and Apple devices. Now, Apple devices would be an app to sync and back up iPhones and iPads. We'll have links in the show notes to a number of articles we've written about iTunes. When iTunes was split, Apple rolled all of the syncing and backup features into the Finder. You can't really do that in Windows, so they created a separate app. Shortly after I published this article on the Intercom Mac Security blog, Apple released an update to the iTunes app for Windows. And this added two features that it has never had, podcasts and audiobooks. It's kind of weird that with all the time that Apple has been supporting podcasts, which roughly go back to 2004, they never rolled them into iTunes for Windows. You could download a podcast and add it to the iTunes library, but you didn't have access to the whole podcast, I guess, store is what they really call it. You've never been able to read Apple's eBooks on Windows. So the fact that they're releasing these two new features in iTunes for Windows will bring it on parity to iTunes for Mac just before they split it. So when they do split it with all these apps, they will have the same apps that they do on the Mac. With the exception, for now, we're only seeing audiobooks in iTunes. We don't know if they're going to have an actual books app for eBooks for Windows. Yeah, so it seems like what's going on here is that they're they're adding podcasts and books as an interim step, at least audiobooks, as an interim step into iTunes for Windows, which for now is still being updated because maybe they don't have preview apps available yet for the Apple's podcasts app and Apple Books on Windows. So they they have preview apps for Apple Music and Apple TV. They already have the Apple Devices preview, the syncing app, but they don't yet have an Apple Podcasts preview or Apple Books preview for Windows. So it seems like what they did was they temporarily rolled those features into iTunes. That's what it appears anyway. But there's something that's even more interesting. You can only listen to podcasts and audiobooks if you have installed the preview Apple Music and Apple TV apps. So basically, the podcast and audiobooks features are kind of skinned into the iTunes app, but they're using the audio playback features in Apple Music and Apple TV. That's what it feels like. Because remember, some podcasts are video podcasts. Actually, one of the most surprising things about this uh, iTunes update is that, wait, podcasts weren't already on iTunes for Windows? Like, what? I, th- that was that was probably the one of the most shocking things to me. I, I've kind of known for a while that either iTunes was just going to stick around forever on Windows because, you know, it, it does drive sales on Windows. People download music and things. And so it kind of made sense for Apple to keep iTunes around if they weren't going to split it into several apps like they did on the Mac years ago. 
in any case, yeah, I'm, I was kind of surprised to to find out that podcasts wasn't already a thing on Windows. One could argue that since they have made literally no changes to the music app and the TV app and all the other apps on macOS, that the development team had enough time to work on the Windows apps, or at least the design team had enough time to work on it. I think this is good as someone who writes a lot about iTunes. It's good that they didn't update everything this year and change the interface. Now they're going to have to have parity between the two operating systems. And this means that they're not going to make sudden changes. Like if we go back to iTunes 10 and when they just totally change the interface, this means that they're going to be settling in for a while, which is a good thing. Settle in, Apple. Don't, you know, change too many things. Okay, speaking of media, Apple is raising prices. They're raising prices on Apple TV+. Plus. When Apple TV+, Plus launched... I think they gave Mac users and iOS users 18 months for free. Was it that long? It was either 12 or 18 months, and it was $5 a month. Then early this year, they raised it to $7 a month, and now it's going up to $10 a month. Now, that's a huge hike. Not, okay, free, I understand. They wanted to get eyes, and it was the only way. $5 kind of matches the amount of content they have. $7, you're starting to push it. $10 for what little content they have. The only thing I can think is that in next week's event, we'll hear that Apple has added some non-original content to the Apple TV Plus offer. Maybe they're not buying Netflix. I don't think they're doing that because it would be a lot more expensive than $10. But maybe they're licensing some kind of content. You know, they could license a number of Turner Classic movies or the Criterion Channel or things like that that have libraries of content that appeal to niche users. But they could license content like that to put into the Apple TV offer. So Apple News Plus is going up from $10 a month to 13 I use the Apple News app every day I look at it. I don't pay for Apple News Plus. I would pay $5 a month for Apple News Plus. I would not pay 10 and I will certainly not pay 13 It's not worth that for me. Apple Arcade is going up from 5 to 7 but the Apple One bundles are not going up as much. They're going up, I think, $2 for the individual plan, $5 for the premier plan. Basically, they're saying, you know what? Don't buy these individual subscriptions. We'll give you this bundle. It's a whole bunch cheaper and you'll commit for a long time because once you're stuck in Apple One, it's hard to get out. The main reason being, if you've set up a music library with Apple Music and you unsubscribe, you're going to lose that library. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that in that particular angle. So, so you're saying basically that if somebody subscribed to Apple Music, because it's a fully subscription thing, you're not purchasing things. If you have created playlists based on things that you're just renting, you'll no longer have access to that potentially. Right. And they upped the price on Apple Music a few months ago by a dollar. So everything's going up. And, you know, we've got inflation around the world, so it's not entirely surprising. They have kept these prices. I think Apple Music has been 10 bucks a month base price since it launched in 2015. So it's not that surprising that they increased the price of that. I will say that all of these individual prices for like TV Plus, News Plus, Arcade, all of those were already too high for me to go for on an individual basis anyway. Like I have thought about getting an Apple One family you know, plan because, you know, we we already have family sharing set up. We already do have some extra storage that we're paying for. And so it wasn't that big of a leap. And I had been thinking about maybe I would kind of use News Plus if I had it. But with things going up even more, I was already hesitant. And now I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. 
I've mentioned this before. What I do with Netflix is I subscribe for a month every now and then, maybe three times a year, maybe twice a year, watch all the stuff I want to and then cancel. You could do that with Apple TV Plus if you want. But if they can lock you into the Apple One bundle monthly where you're committed, it's a lot harder to make that change. Amazon is apparently going to start charging extra for Amazon Prime Video. I think they're talking about $3 a month over and above your Amazon Prime subscription, which mine just renewed here. It was £95. I don't remember what it is in the States, $129, something like that, or $109. And I pay for that because I want next day delivery. I don't mind paying that and paying what's included for Amazon Prime Video. I'm not paying them 3 bucks a month in addition for Prime Video. All these prices are going up. Netflix is going up to, I think, $23 a month for the premium 4K plan. They're starting to price people out of the market, and I think they're going to suffer for this. Yeah, we, we've started to do the same thing that you're talking about there with the like canceling and renewing and just going a month to month. We've started doing that with streaming services too, because it's it's gotten pretty expensive if you subscribe to multiple. In addition to that, I've been cutting down on a lot of app subscriptions because they've been creeping up, right? You buy an app and you've been using an app for a while and it's good, but then all of a sudden, they want more for subscription. It's a calendar app I was using. I was paying $35 and they raised their subscription fee to like 55 a year. And the feature that they are selling is one of these features that people in business use to like, you want to make an appointment with someone, here's a calendar of my availability, right? So it's, they're running their own server. I don't use this feature. I switch calendar apps because I'm not paying another 20 bucks a year for a calendar app that I don't use. And I'm finding a lot of apps are having this subscription creep and I'm cutting back on a lot of these services. Okay, quickly before the break, a hacker has leaked 4.1 million additional 23andMe genetic data profiles. We didn't talk about the first million. That was about two weeks ago. Is that it? Yeah, not too long ago, there was a leak of a million records of people with Ashkenazi Jewish heritage. And now there's been a second leak with 4.1 million additional records from people who live in the UK or Germany. It seems like probably what happened is that there was really one data breach and now some of that data has, is starting to leak out over time. So there was the 1 million dump initially, an additional 4.1 million. And so there's probably additional information that, you know, hackers have access to. So it's possible that more may leak over time. Interestingly, I know several people who discovered that they have Ashkenazi Jewish heritage through 23andMe who didn't know. This could include a lot of people who don't think they're affected, plus the second data leak could be a lot of others. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about pass keys. We're going to talk about Fire Sheep, and we're going to talk about Google Chrome's new IP protection that will hide your IP address. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup, to keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Sonoma and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount 
by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intigo.com. That's podcast.intigo.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Indigo Mac Podcast listeners. Intigo, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Okay, so we're going to do an authentication roundup this week. How do they do it on Jeopardy? You have to answer with a question. Is that it? They now let you log in with Apple Pass keys, Josh, for one hundred dollars. <laughs> I guess I would say, what is Amazon? Is that is that the ding? That's how you do it on Jeopardy. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. So Amazon now lets you log in with Apple's Pass keys. So this is a, a new thing. Uh, we mentioned recently that Google now, if you're creating a new Google account, they encourage you to use Pass keys. That's the default now. If you have an existing Amazon account, you can now set up Apple passkeys as a, a way to log into your Amazon account. So you don't have to use your password anymore if you have a passkey set up. A lot of services are starting to do this. We're going to see more and more big services like this do this over the coming year or two as passkeys gets wider adoption. So Amazon is the next company to add passkeys support for an alternative way to log in without a password. Right. It's an alternative. It's not a requirement like Google is now a requirement. But there's something I'm not sure about. Let's say you set up a passkey on a device. So a passkey needs biometric authentication. It needs Face ID, Touch ID, or whatever the equivalents are on other operating systems. What if you set up on one device, but then you want to log in on another device? Can you still use your password? I assume so. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not exactly sure how that process works. I have not tried this myself, but that would be my guess is that you probably still have the option to use your password on another device. Okay. They detected suspicious activity in their Okta account. Josh, for $200. What is one password? Yes. Go ahead and tell me what Okta is. I don't know who they are. First of all, 1Password is a very popular password manager, especially on Mac and iOS. I know, Kirk, that's that's your preferred password manager. I've used 1Password as well. So is this a big problem? Anytime you hear, you know, data breach or things like this, people get really worried. You know, something got hacked and it's a password manager related thing. Oh my gosh, is this another last pass? Like, is this a really big deal? In this case, 1Password is saying for now at least, they're saying that no user data was compromised and no sensitive systems of theirs were compromised. So let's talk about the Okta angle of this. Okta is an authentication provider and Okta says that hackers had breached its support system relatively recently and viewed customer files. They obtained valid credentials. Okta doesn't say exactly how that might have happened, but a lot of companies use Okta for authentication. Okta also has an authenticator app, so you can use them to get your two-factor one-time use codes as your second factor when you're logging into sites. 1Password CTO said on September 29th, so this was almost a month ago, we detected suspicious activity on our Okta instance that we used to manage our employee-facing apps, they say. We immediately terminated the activity, investigated, and found no compromise of user data or other sensitive systems, either employee-facing or user-facing. So they're saying, yeah, there was an issue, and I guess some hackers got access to some stuff, but it wasn't anything significant, so don't worry about this. The thing that's concerning, of course, 
course, is that remember this sort of thing has happened before with a lot of other data breaches, including with LastPass, where initially they said, oh, no, you know, there's nothing sensitive here. And then kind of later they started saying, oh, well, actually, there was this other thing. And then, oh, there was actually, okay, no, it was a big problem. (laughs) (laughs) It took it took them like a couple of a month or two to like finally admit that, okay, yeah, this was a pretty big deal. This didn't just affect 1Password. This affected 1% of Okta's 17,000 corporate customers, so 170 organizations, including Cloudflare, which is a big company. But again, this is affecting the authentication for employees. Your 1Password data vault is encrypted with your master password. So even if they got your data vault, unless you had a really bad master password, they couldn't get into it. Worth noting that Okta's stock price dropped more than 11% on Friday last week. So $2 billion off the company's value. And that's one reason why these companies need to have better security. It costs them. It's the bottom line. So they use Google ads and pony code to push malware. Josh, for $300. What is a fake KeePass site? KeePass is another password manager, not quite as popular on the Mac and iOS as 1Password. KeePass is actually an open source password manager. And so it's more popular on Windows. And there are third parties that make KeePass apps for Mac OS. A particular fake KeePass site was using a domain that looked like the real KeePass, except for like a pixel or two that was just slightly off and you wouldn't necessarily notice this because you might think you have a speck of dust on your screen or something like that when you're seeing this address in your URL bar. In fact, what was really going on was that they were using a special character that looks like the letter K with a little speck under it. We've talked before about homograph attacks and this is another example of those. Some browsers will render this as something that looks like keypass.info, which is the legitimate keypass website. But what's actually going on behind the scenes is the domain that's registered is something like xn hyphen hyphen eepass hyphen vbb.info in this case, but it just looks like so the browser interprets that as keypass.info, but not an actual K. I think what happens is all non-Latin characters have to be rendered in Unicode, but then they're translated so users don't see it, and they're translated into regular ASCII characters. So the trickery is actually quite simple. And imagine, in this case, it's a K with a little diacritic underneath it. Imagine if there are three different Ks with diacritics. They would all look like the same K. So take the letter E, which can have an accent going up, an accent going down, a diuresis, a straight line over it, all sorts of different types of diacritics. And imagine if they're all rendered as the same letter E. That means there's plenty of options for malicious users to create domain names that would look like other domains. The second stage of this attack, though, is that they registered Google ads and the way that they did it, it looked like you were actually going to the real KeePass website. It looked like, you know, they give you kind of a little preview of where you're going to end up landing. 
And that preview on Google ads looked like it was going to take you to the legit KeePass website. But in fact, the Google ad up at the top of the search results was actually going to a malicious site. In this particular case, it was Windows malware that you would get infected with if you went to the fake site and downloaded it from there. There was not a macOS component, but still something to be aware of because this could just as easily have been a fake 1Password site that did the same thing. So be very, very careful. Look closely at that URL bar. There are actually ways that you can change the default behavior of your browser to always render these pages to not show the lookalike characters. So for example, you would see the weird hyphens and all that other stuff that's in the actual domain that's really registered. You know what? I'm going to create an article about this today. We'll get it published and put it in the show notes for this episode on how you can change that for whatever browser you're using. So they show the real domain and not the lookalike characters in the address bar. Okay, breaking news, and I don't know, this seems to happen a lot, that just as we're finishing to record a podcast, Apple releases an update. So 17.1 has been released. It has new features for Apple Music. It has airdrop over internet. Remember that one? That's a pretty clever feature that Apple announced. Watch OS 10.1 is also out with that double tap gesture for the newest Apple Watches, the Apple Watch 9 and the Apple Watch Ultra 2. So at least we can say while we're recording that what we said earlier in the show, which we're going to leave in anyway, was came out today instead of Tuesday. Josh, for $400, who or what is 13 years old? Firesheep? Yes. Firesheep is a browser extension that was released 13 years ago, 2010. At a security conference, there was a researcher named Eric Butler who released this and If you loaded this extension and you went to someplace that had an open Wi-Fi network, you would be able to pull up the FireSheep sidebar and you would get a list of all of the people who were on that Wi-Fi network who were logged into Facebook or Twitter or Google or a number of other sites. And you could just click on any one of those and then be signed in as that person in your Firefox browser. So basically, you were taking over their session cookie. That's exactly right. Because back in 2010, we didn't have HTTPS everywhere. We only had HTTPS usually on login pages. And then websites would fall back to HTTP because why would you need security on the whole entire browser session? Well, it turns out this is a good reason to have security on your whole entire browser session because those cookies basically authenticate you and show the website that you are the legitimate user who already put in your username and password. And so this really, FireSheep was the thing that made websites start to use HTTPS across the board, not just for login pages, but for the entire browsing session. Hooray for Firesheep. Its developer did a really great thing for the safety of internet users worldwide. Okay, last question. For $500, their new IP protection will hide user's IP address. What is Google in Google Chrome? Yes. What is Google Chrome? I'll give it to you. We'll accept that. Will we accept that answer, Johnny? Yes, we'll accept that answer. So Google Chrome is going to hide users' IP addresses. This is a good thing, right? It's an interesting thing. So basically what this really means is that Google's going to start using proxy servers in order to mask IP addresses. So this sounds very much like Google Chrome's version of 
Apple's iCloud Private Relay. This is functionality that exists on macOS and iOS. Since 2021, we've had Private Relay as a way to hide your IP address when you're using Safari and going to to websites. Now, Google is kind of saying, oh yeah, that thing that Apple's been doing for two years already, we want to do that too for Chrome. And so we're going to start rolling this thing out. IP protection is going to be an opt-in feature, at least at first. So users are going to have the option to turn this on if they want to. This is probably a good idea because I imagine that their systems might be pretty overwhelmed considering that Chrome is the number one most used browser in the world. Google is calling this their phase zero as they start to roll this out as an opt-in feature. And then over time, Presumably, they may enable this as a default feature if their pilot program goes well. It's also only available to users logged into Google Chrome with US-based IP addresses. It's not available internationally. One thing I'd like to point out, the Bleeping Computer article says, we are considering using two hops for improved privacy. A second proxy would be run by an external CDN while Google runs the first hop which is exactly what Apple did when they launched iCloud Private Relay, saying that we need two hops for privacy. Right. They don't want a government agency or whoever to subpoena Google and say, you have all this data about what you proxied for whom. And so tell us, who was it that made this request at this particular time? And now Google's going to be able to say, oh, yeah, we don't know, because some other provider who actually put them out on the Internet. And so, sorry, we don't have all the information that you're looking for. Okay, that's enough for this week. Next week, we'll be talking about what Apple presents on Halloween Eve. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>